Welcome to Hacks and Jacks, a fantasy baseball podcast. I am Joe Galina. And as always, I'm joined by my buddy, Scott Chu, a very busy Scott Chu. Scott, you're all over the place. Uh, we're uh, recording this uh, January 26th, a Friday night, which is unusual for us, just before 10 o'clock at night Eastern time, smack dab in the middle of PitchCon. Uh, the fifth anniversary of PitchCon, and you're doing three panels for PitchCon, so, and, and and you're doing your day job, you're taking care of your twins and your wife. How do you do it, Scott? God only knows. <laughs> um, I, you know, find out. I was actually uh, also I was actually just on the Fantasy Baseball Beat uh, mm-hmm. podcast with um, with uh, Mike Carter and uh, Torres, so that was um, that was a lot of fun too. Uh, mostly just, I mean, talking about the stuff I love talking about, you know, like rolling charts and decision value and, and hitter stuff, right? Like I work for pitcher list, but I talk about hitter stuff because it's more fun and it makes it so that Nick doesn't exactly know what I'm doing at any given time. So, uh, it's, it's a lot, but like, it's, it's time, right? Mm. Here we are. We're in, you know, there's a lot of drafting and stuff going on. Uh, I mean, we're, we're deep in enough that there's scandals, right? Not about baseball quite yet, but it's, it's time. Mm. Like it, you get ramped up and, and it does. The one nice thing about doing it is, you know, you really get ready for March where like there will be bits of news, but like most everything that we need to evaluate players is here, uh, at least in terms of evaluating them before we see them in the spring. Right. Well, there there are a few rites of passage that lead up to primetime fantasy baseball drafting season for me, and one of them uh, is PitchCon. Uh, and basically, this this year it's a five day fantasy baseball extravaganza still going on now. And our uh, episode, if all goes right, we're going to debut this episode that we're recording uh, on Saturday morning, and there'll still be like a, a almost two full days of of PitchCon to go. So and and this year, PitchCon's raising money to combat ALS, and they had a goal of uh, ten thousand dollars, and they've already blown past that. So kudos to Nick Pollock, kudos to everyone on the pitcher list staff that took part and is taking part in PitchCon, and uh, just the uh, top flight analysts from fantasy baseball. And I love the way that you know the the panels that Nick put together where. You know, uh, Justin Mason and Paul Spore, they, they host the podcast together, but they're on two different panels. And the guys from Fantasy Baseball Today, the three guys, you know, Frank and, and Scott and uh, Chris, they're on three different panels. I, I love that Scott does that, you know, so you get to see uh, different analysts in different uh, roles in different settings. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's again, part of it is just like it's it's kind of like what you see at uh, like a first pitch Arizona kind mm-hmm. of thing. But because it's just like the online venue, um, Nick, like Nick can do back to back to back to back to back to back. Mm-hmm. Right. Like the, that's the one downside to the in-person conferences is like, you have to let people like, like live a little, like be able to come in and out. And with PitchCon, you can be like, no, we'll, we'll do this all day long. Yeah. Right. There is no, like, we're not also there to watch baseball games. Like it's come in when you can you, yeah, you've got your regular job, but you can be there. So. Uh, yeah, it, it's a lot of fun. I will be presenting on uh, two topics. And then by the time this comes out, uh, we should be pretty close to having everything go up on YouTube. So yeah. after the mm-hmm. all, all the presentations are done, we get them all up on YouTube. We're actually re- like uh, we're recording everything like 
and presenting through YouTube. So actually that process will go faster. So they'll all be there for everyone to just, you know, if you missed one or you heard one was good and you weren't there, you're going to be able to go back and see all that. Mm -hmm. And of course, uh, yeah, check that out on YouTube and also uh, donate uh, to the ALS cause. Uh, like I said, the goal was uh, $10,000 and they've blown past that already. And like I said, it's, it's Friday night and they've got uh, another two full days worth of programming still going on. So great stuff. Uh, very proud to be part of the Pitcher List family. So, but uh, talking about this episode, Scott, we wanted to uh, touch upon the first base position, start doing some uh, in-depth position, uh, you call them previews, uh, analysis of, of, the, of the position. And, you know, you start at the top and we're not going to talk about every single first baseman, but uh, obviously uh, the, the top three, um, that everyone uh, talks about, I guess, if you want to call it a tier or not, but you got Freddie Freeman, Bryce Harper, Matt Olson. They're all drafted within the first couple of rounds. And I'll, I'll ask you just in general with, with these three guys, um, based on their ADPs, and you're going to need to either use a first or second round uh, pick on them, in what type of scenario, we'll say league format, uh, is, would you – target one of these guys if at all i mean you know i know it's early in the season but in terms of your draft strategy as you're starting to uh formulate it as we get closer to draft season i mean a lot of them right so the the thing with third base is you know it is deep i'll tell you that like there's a lot of guys out there that are going to be able to provide uh, you know, in terms of like dollars generated, like there's a lot of guys are going to be able to do at least 10 or $15. But in terms of the guys that are really going to, um, you know, with the, the combination of ceiling and floor, I mean, these, these are the guys, right? Yes. Like Pete Alonzo and like Vlad Guerrero jr. Could like break out too. But after those five, I'm not saying it gets bad, but it does like the, like, there's not, there's not really a path to being a, t like those five guys are probably the five top first baseman, right? Mm -hmm. Like in terms of projecting from now, like I know in real life at the end of the season, someone's going to sneak in, like someone might get hurt. Someone else sneaks in because they have some crazy breakout season. But like, I think if I'm guessing who are the top five first basemen at the end of the season, like it's gotta be these five. Like there's not really anyone else that I'm like, Oh, well, what about Nolan Jones who in Yahoo leagues will be eligible there or Paul Goldschmidt? Like, I just don't see those guys getting there. So I actually have, I, I am debating putting top Freddie Freeman as like my fifth overall pick, right? Like I'm willing to put him that high. Freddie Freeman has finished as a top two first baseman. I think every year for like the last like five, six years, hmm. something like that. The floor is just amazingly high. You know, he's going to score a boatload of runs. He's going to have plenty. I mean, all the county stats are going to be there and more in that loaded Dodgers, uh, you know, top of the Dodgers lineup. This is Freddie Freeman is probably going to be on a lot of my teams where I don't draft in the top four at the back of the first round. And actually there are leagues where he will get to the back of the first round. Mm. Right. And like, especially in 12 teamer. And I'm going to be all over that. Like, obviously I'm very happy with a Bryce Harper or Matt Olson if they go past, but like Freddie Freeman also steals bases. Right. right? So, all of a sudden. Right. I mean, he, yeah. he stole uh, what? 23 last season um, yeah. at 13, the season before, which is unusual for a guy you know, uh, approaching his mid thirties, he, he was 33 last season. Yeah. And um, like, I get the, I get the arguments about like how Mookie Betts can play second base. Um, you know, I'm a huge Kyle Tucker fan, uh, you know, and I love Fernando Tatis jr. But like 
Freeman's floor and ceiling combo is as good or better than Mookie Betts and Tucker anyway. Hmm. So like why? I mean, cause Freeman's going to hit like three ten, right? Like mm-hmm. or better. So, and again, I think the counting stats will be absolutely obscene. Same for Mookie, but like Freddie Freeman is just so good. So consistent. Um, that... so what, I, what I love about Mookie is the, he's going to be eligible at second and outfield. And, you know, you, you play in a league where there's five outfielders, the ability to, you know, move them in and out of that second base and outfield position. Um, it's going to be huge. And, you know, so I'm, yeah. Doing, a, yeah, I'm doing a DC right now. Uh, and Betts went number two overall. Freeman went number eight overall. So, um, you know. Yeah, I, I think I think Freeman will end up as like my number six overall player. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, sorry, overall hitter. He'll, right. I mean, it'd probably still be my overall player, too. I'd probably take him over Spencer Strider. But yeah, so I think he'll be six because I can't quite. I mean, Mookie at second base when we do that preview. I mean, Mookie is a tier by himself and there's not really a tier below that. Then there, mm-hmm. there is a tier below that, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's that much better than the rest of the second base pool, which makes it hard to pull him out of the top five. But Freeman's probably my six. Right. And, uh, you know, you talked about Bryce Harper, you know, uh, started off a little slow last season, uh, recovering from TJ surgery, but, uh, eventually it just became, you know, the Bryce Harper that we all know and love 21 home runs, 11 stolen bases and 126 games played and, and Matt Olson, uh, career high in batting average. Uh, but you know, what's weird. I was looking at his, his career stats. If you take a look at his career stats, Scott, it seems every other year he, he, he tanks on his batting average <laughs> because he bat, in 218 he batted 247 and in 2019 he batted 267 20 point uh higher than the season before 2020 that abbreviated season batting 195 then in 2021 bats 271 2022 yeah, that's 240 and then last season he bats 283 <laughs> but go ahead and the expected stats do the same thing Mm. Right. Like, it's not like this is just Babbitt fluctuation. Like we actually see the expected stats change sort of not quite as dramatically, but definitely in there. So some of the big things that happened um, last season with Maddles and probably the number one thing that really stands out is this was a guy that was hitting double digit infield fly balls. Mm -hmm. Uh, So like, you know, more than one in 10 of his fly balls were infield flies, which as you know, are like, they're always outs, right? Mm-hmm. It was 3.1% last year. He just didn't do it. Uh, this was something he had always done. Um, he even did it in his first year in Atlanta, but somehow last season, he just, you know, Olsen just stops hitting these infield flies. So he's like, I don't even know. I don't even know what to make of that. Right? I, I don't, I don't know. Like, I haven't seen anything. <laughs> I like, thought oh. you were going to talk about the, the, you know, you're going to be doing a panel on uh, PLV hitter attributes, right? And so I was uh, ahead of time. I looked, I wanted to make you proud of me. I looked at his strike zone judgment and that rate increased steadily all season long. So I thought yeah. you were going to talk about that. Yeah. Well, so strike zone judgment is a cool one. Um, <clears throat> but like it, it really just measures like swings at strikes, takes, you know, takes pitches out of the zone. That's mm-hmm. it. Um, it doesn't necessarily like it correlates with decision value pretty well, but it's not quite the same because uh, decision value will also tell you that like there's certain strikes that you should probably let go in certain counts, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, Oh one change up, like 
just painted right on the corner, something like that. Like it, let that go. You're not going to do anything with it. Uh, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Right. On to the next one. So, <clears throat> you know, I, I was looking, you know, I looked at those a little bit, but I, I still didn't see like, how did he stop hitting infield flies? Like he got, you know, one in 10 fly balls back. And when you talk about the fact that this dude has like a f- over 40% fly ball rate, that's a lot of fly balls. So right? what is it? Why does a batter hit so many uh, infield fly balls? Just over aggressiveness. I mean, some of it is how they attack pitches, right? Hmm. Like if they attack a lot of pitches up, a lot of those turn into uh pop flies. And part of it is just like guys who hit tons of fly balls will often have higher infield fly rates because they're trying to put everything in the air. Mm. Right. And the difference in an infield fly and, a, you know, a fly ball that's closer to a home run. Like when you talk about where the ball was on the bat, it ain't much. Mm. Right. Like it's th- these are, you know, infield flies are are not good, but they usually like in many cases, they're like kind of near misses. Right. Like those are the ones when you're watching the game and the the hitter hits his fly and you'll see him just slam his bat down. It's because he he had it. He knew what the pitch was. He he knew what he wanted to do with it, and he missed it. Mm. Right, like that's where the infield flies are. So it's not always it's, easy to have a round bat hit a round ball perfectly, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, you know the other weird thing is like usually when you see these big home run spikes, guy like Matt Olson, you're thinking he started pulling fly balls more. He's actually his pull rate went down mm. again. Right. Like it was actually the first time in his career and over a full season that he had a sub 40% pull rate. He had a ton of stuff up the middle. That right. doesn't necessarily mean anything. It doesn't mean he was like unlucky or whatever. Uh, when Matt Olson puts the ball in the air, he's going to be good. You know, I, I think that, you know, can, can we project like 35 to 40 home runs at least? Yeah. I think that's absolutely a yes. that's a healthy floor for sure. Yeah. Um, you're right to kind of question the batting average. Right. Cause like we saw his, the, the last time we really saw his batting average go up, which was his last year with Oakland, we saw that come with a very decreased strikeout rate, right? It was down 16.8% that season. Um, and we were like, oh, well that's the thing, except he did it again. You know, obviously 2023, he has the improved batting average, but his strikeout rate was the same as the year before, basically. Right. It was like 24.3 in 2022. And then it, for Olsen in 2023, it was 23%, right? You dropped it by 1%, which is more or less meaningless. Um, he did walk more, but that's, that's not a batting average thing. So I, uh, yeah, all that to say, like, I don't know. I know that Matt Olson's a good player. I can tell you a lot of reasons why he's a good player. This isn't a Cody Bellinger situation where I have no idea what happened at all with Olson. I know what happened with everything except the batting average. So, you know, he's a career 260 hitter, right? Well, 256, but 260 ish. That's probably what I'm writing in on, on my, you know, a lot of projections that are out there have it a little better. They have it somewhere between 260 and 270. ATC just came out. It's 269. Steamer had it at 269. Uh, Zips has it as low as 260. I think all projections are going to kind of be in that range, like a little better than his career average. Hmm. Um, but not, I mean, nothing close to that 280 or even, right. you know, we probably won't even see any projections give him 270. So that's the one thing. He has a decent batting average. It's not amazing. Everything else is amazing. Oh, and he doesn't steal. Mm. That's fine. Yeah, the other two guys uh, that we talked about do steal a little bit. You know, obviously we talked Freddie Freeman and, uh, you know, uh, Bryce Harper get you maybe 10, 15 steals, especially in this environment as well. But we can move on to uh, Pete Alonzo, uh, pretty much a a lock for 40 home runs, uh, expecting – looks like the projection models expecting a bounce back in his batting average 
I mean, his home runs and, and RBI were right where you expect them. 46 homers, 118 RBI, but batted 217 on the season. Um, ha- battling a, an issue with his wrist, I think he got hit by a pitch and didn't miss as much time as we had expected him to, but maybe came back a little bit too soon. But then again, it didn't affect his home run output, but his batting average, uh, like I said, career low, 217. But uh, looks like the projection models expect it somewhere in the 240-plus range, and he's a 251 yeah. career. And that's pretty close to what his expected batting average was as well. Like expected yeah. batting average isn't like a projection tool. It's a descriptive tool. It tells you what it was before, and if he kept hitting the way he did last season, eventually it would probably get itself back closer to like 240. And that's, you know, I think the 240-ish, 240 mm-hmm. to 250, that's the right range for – um, Pete Alonzo's batting average. He's basically like, it, it's like Matt Olson, but you just kind of tone you. You actually can turn the power up a little bit. I think yeah. more often than not, Olson hits more home runs. Oh sorry, yeah, he's a he's a lot for forty fewer right. home runs than Alonzo. I think Alonzo's got the more power, but like yeah, Alonzo. because because Olson plays and hits at the top, like the top of the Braves lineup and the top of the Mets lineup are two very different things. Mm-hmm. Right. When you're talking about Connie stats, I mean, when you try to figure out how Matt Olson was like a top three hitter last season, um, the power was cool. The batting average was cool. But what it actually comes down to is 127 runs scored and 139 RBI. That is, those are massive numbers, mm-hmm. right? Like he's like, he's hit lots of stuff before, but like 127 and 139 is just so like, that's so many, like, like, Again, it's hard for me to just describe this, but like you got to look at Pete Alonso last season, hits 46 home runs, but falls like 30 runs, almost 30 runs scored short, right? Like 25 runs scored less, right? Because it's like 92 versus the, you know, Matt Olson's 127. And yeah, 118 RBI is cool, but like, like that was blown away. It's like 21 more RBI for Matt Olson. Um, yeah, he hit more home runs, but like that, it, it's just the run environment in Atlanta is so big. And Alonzo, I think we're going to see around the same counting stats he got last season, but it's why he doesn't have the same ceiling as like an Olsen. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really what I'm trying to get to. Like Pete Alonzo has a great ceiling, but it's just a little bit shorter than the three guys we already talked about in part because he plays for the Mets in part because his batting average is, is probably going to be lower than those other guys by t- 10, 20 points. Mm-hmm. His OBP will be lower by possibly even more than that. Um, he just, because he doesn't quite put as many balls in play and those kinds of things, it's just not going to get there. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, before we take our first break, so this is the group that you, it, it seems, from what I understand from what you said earlier on, this is the group that you want your first baseman from, no? That Yeah, that that's my preference right now. And as I've done drafts, I, there's, I mean, there's a, there's a couple guys in the tier lower or in a couple tiers lower that we're going to talk about, some young players I'm very excited about, um, you know, coming back from injury or kind of, you know, sort of re, not rebounding, but like building off uh, successful seasons last year. Those guys are kind of fun. But man, especially in a 12-teamer, um, I really prefer to have one of these top guys if it can all fit in with my draft strategy because they like their ceilings are just – I mean, their floors are some of these other guys' ceilings. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, 
even in leagues where you, you don't have a, a corner infielder or do have a corner infielder, is that going to affect how you go about drafting a, a first baseman? Like, yeah, you know, it, actually, yeah. It, it makes me want those guys even more, right? Because, okay. mm-hmm. um, yeah, I know the replacement level will still be high, but like in shallower leagues, it's a lot of it's like, can I have a position where I'm just way better than everyone else? And there's going to be like basically four or five guys at first base who are just, I think, going to be dramatically better than than the rest, right? Mm-hmm. At least that's how it looks right now. Obviously, in the season, things change, blah, blah, blah. But as it sits right now, I, there's a big advantage at first base with those top three or four. Um, and then it kind of starts getting muddier. Like it's more of a clumping of players who you can pick some breakouts out of there. You can pick sure. some high floors, you know, high floor, high ceiling. Yeah. You know, there's those kinds of things are all in there, but, but these top really the top three, but, and top four with Alonzo, like that's just so bankable mm-hmm. as, you know, top tier players. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So I think this is a, a pretty good spot for us to take our first break. And then I want to get into talking about Vlad Guerrero Jr. Really uh, want to dive into what's going on with him, what we could expect from him uh, next season. But uh, before we do, first, I want to talk to you about this great meal delivery service called Factor. And uh, for all of you out there who made a resolution to eat healthier in the new year, Factor can help you reach your goals. That's right. Factors ready to eat meal delivery takes the stress out of meal planning and sets you up for success in the new year. Skip the grocery stores, prep work, and cooking fatigue. Instead, get chef-crafted, dietitian-approved meals delivered right to your door. Factor gives you over 35 meals to choose from every week. You can choose options like keto, calorie smart, vegan, and more. And with access to over 55 weekly add-ons, you'll have a ton of nutritious and flavorful options to kickstart your resolutions. Forget frantic lunch preps and rushed dinners. Factors two-minute meals are your secret weapon in the new year. Fuel up fast with restaurant-quality meals, all delivered right to your door. So head on over to factormeals.com slash hnj50 and use code HNJ50 to get 50% off. That's code HNJ50 at factormeals.com slash HNJ50 to get 50% off. All right, we're back. Hacks and Jacks, a fantasy baseball podcast. I'm Joe Galena. You can follow me on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it these days. I'm at Joe Galena. You can follow my buddy Scott Chu at if the chew fits, and before we took our first break, I teased uh, the little uh, that we wanted to talk about Vlad Guerrero Jr., first baseman for the Blue Jays. Overall ADP uh, in NFBC leagues is 33. Um, and Scott, I'm, I'm looking at Guerrero Jr.'s career stats, and looks like that 2021 20, season is an obvious outlier outlier uh right now i mean the guy's only going to be 25 years old this season so obviously still has a lot of great baseball left in him uh of course guerrero jr hit 48 home runs and 111 rbi uh with a 311 average in 2021 but uh last season 26 home runs 94 rbi and a 264 batting average and i thought it was you know i, I sorted the home runs hit by first baseman in preparation for this this podcast. So you look at you know Vlad's numbers and you look at Brandon Drury's numbers from last season. They're really not that much different, Scott. Brandon Drury 
and I'm saying I'm not saying Brandon Drury and is a better or equal player to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. But when you look at what Drury did last season, 125 games, 262, 26 homers, 83 RBI with an 803 OPS. And in 156 games, like I said, uh, Vlad, 264, 26 homers, 94 RBI, and a 788 OPS. Uh, what I did notice was there's a pretty big home away split for Vlad. Batted 238 with a 716 OPS at home and a 289 batting average and an 858 OPS uh, on the road. And, you know, the, the Rogers Center, the Blue Jays' home park they went through some renovation um and last season if you look at statcast there had a ballpark factor of 98 and 96 home runs for right-handed batters right that was the they had a 96 home run factor for right-handed batters in 2022 the uh home run factor for right-handed batters at rogers center was 128 so, so what that means, because uh, I had to, you know, you got to know what these numbers mean, and I didn't even know. But what that 128 home run number means for right-handed batters back in 2022, it meant that uh, batters and pitchers who played both at Rogers Center and elsewhere, 28 percent more home runs were observed at Rogers Center. That's the definition from MLB.com. So, uh, I'm wondering if, in part. Maybe just the 48 home runs he hit in 2021 is an outlier because, you know, he's had a history of hitting a lot of ground balls. Or maybe there is something to be said about this uh, renovation that they did in Rogers Center. Yeah, I mean, I I think I think that could be I mean, like it's sort of it's sort of like easy to say, like, oh, well, in, you know, 20. What happens in 2021 is that they play roughly half the season, half their home games for the first half of the season are actually not in Rogers center. Right. They are in Dunedin, Florida, and mm-hmm. then they're in uh, Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and those parks were very home run friendly. That doesn't quite explain how the home run numbers were like 50% higher <laughs> in mm-hmm. one year. Um, because it's actually only a quarter of their games that would have been impacted. So, uh, projections all find all feel like Guerrero is going to get back to 30 home runs. You know, it was, it was really rough. Not just, not just the 26 home runs. It was the low counting stats that really stood out to me, right? Like the 94 RBI are good, but dude couldn't even get 80 runs. Mm. Like, ah, that's, that's problematic, right? Like we were just talking about like Matt Olson. Matt Olson had like 120 something runs, right? Like, Pete Alonzo is still up in like the nineties and to just not even get to 80. That's rough. I think some of that comes back that the blue Jays had some, you know, him and Boba Chet really just did not perform the way we had expected with Vlad Guerrero. I think the ground ball rate is a thing, but he sort of, I mean, his ground ball rate was pretty good last season. Vlad Guerrero Jr.'s ground ball rate, 46.2%. I'd love to see him hitting closer to 40% fly balls, but he was pretty close to what he was doing in 2021. Right. The pull rate was a little bit higher, which is probably good for him. Um, it's it's really hard for me to quite understand. Basically, in 2021, you see his exit velocity that's like three miles per hour harder than anything else. Mm-hmm. Like other seasons, he's not gotten back to that 
um, like he gets back to that max exit velo, but he doesn't get to that average mm-hmm. exit velo. And exit velo on its own isn't a you know it's obviously not a perfect metric, um, but you know like we thought in 2022 the problem for Vlad why why he only hit 30 home runs not 40 was that he hit too many ground balls. He goes back to hitting balls in the air in 2023 and he still had a problem. So yeah. on one hand, he's fixed the things that I think were the the most concerning. That was like the ground balls. Uh, he got that below 50%. That's where he needs to be. Uh, he kept pulling the ball a, a decent amount. Um, I just don't, I don't understand why. Like that was another thing is like the expected stats, like weren't what they were in 2021, but they were better. They were at least as good as 2022, if not better. Mm. Almost everything under the surface looked like it was better than 2022, except for the real results. Right. Right. Like he was worse in every statistical category, except for OBP because he walked a bit more. I wish I remembered who said this, and I'm going to paraphrase it, but someone, was it within the last week or so, or maybe I read it in an article, that they, and again, I'm paraphrasing that, almost like during the regular season, he presses, you know, he feels pressure to perform, and then you take a look at him at the All-Star game, and he wins it. You know, he's just, you know, having a good time, no pressure, just knocking the, you know, the the, the, the proverbial tar off the ball and, and hitting tons of home runs. So I wonder if part of it could be a little mental. And that's so hard to, to gauge, right? You can't yeah. put a number on that. Yeah, the best stat we have for that is probably decision value, right? Because, well, decision value and like swing aggression, right, for, for Vlad Guerrero Jr., and he didn't, again, he doesn't do anything that surprising. Like he is more aggressive than other players. Vlad is because he has supreme like back control, right? Like he, he can hit stuff that lots of guys can't hit. He has an amazing hit tool, which will tend to leave him a bit more aggressive than other guys. But you know, his decision value was actually pretty good mm-hmm. throughout the season. It, it's above average at the very end of the season. It really spikes. He was making amazing decisions right at the end uh, for some reason that I can't quite understand, but yeah, it's, it's just really weird. Like there's a couple guys every year that we say like, look, like he's sort of like this bizarro Cody Bellinger because with Vlad, he does almost everything better than he did the year before. And all the results are worse. What we Mm. saw with Cody Bellinger was that he had all work. Everything under the hood was worse and he has better results, Mm. right? Like the mysteries of the universe, how exactly this happens. I do think Vlad is probably a 30 home run hitter. Um, I, I think that his ADP is, is decent, right? Like I think he's going in about the right spot. I do think he's like a top five first baseman. Um, again, he, I would never consider him over, you know, Freeman Olsen, Alonzo Harper. Mm-hmm. Like I just, I, he'll probably, I'll probably put him in the same tier as like, um, Alonzo and but but it'll it'll always be lower like I always want Alonzo first yes I understand that Vlad Guerrero actually does have more upside because Guerrero could hit 40 home runs and back close to 300 Pete Alonzo will not do that but with Vlad there's I just don't I I'm it's every year that we see 30 home runs and 26 home runs it makes it harder to imagine how he gets back to 48. Mm-hmm. Like I just, I, I'm not seeing that path right now. So 
Uh, Vlad, let's face it. There aren't many guys that could hit 48 home runs regularly, right? Think about it. I mean, who could do it? right? Who could do it? Judge will do it. Alonso will do it. Uh, you know, it's a possibility of Olsen, um, maybe Jordan Alvarez. There aren't that many players. Schwarber, that, Alvarez. Right. Right. I mean, there are, you know, it's only a handful of guys that could do it on the regular. And maybe that was just a, a, you know, a career season. You know, Reggie Jackson hit 47 home runs in, I think, his second or third year. And, you know, the, the closest he came to it was hitting 41 home runs uh, in 1980. And so, so some guys just have a career year. And then, you know, it's tough to you – know, then you, you compare them. You're constantly comparing uh, their season-long production to their best year ever. And maybe it's unfair. Yeah. So, so my projection is probably closer to like 31, 32, um, something like that to their credit. Steamer has it at 36. Mm. Um, that's too rich for my blood. I think if you're writing in 35 home runs for Vlad, uh, you're talking about a, a top tier percentile, like projection for him. Mm -hmm. Um, you're a lot of things going, no reason he can't do it. I think that that's in there. I just don't see it actually happening. And then the counting stats is just going to be, how does that, you know, that blue Jay offense at one point was one that we were like, Oh, it's a must avoid if you've got pitching stuff like that, but it's not, it is not the same anymore. So that's the other thing that goes into Vlad. I think having a slightly lower ceiling is if you look at this lineup, it's Springer at the top when healthy, which is, you know, a question mark uh, to be fair. Uh, it's Bobachet who's definitely had a downturn last season. He only hits 24 home runs. It's also hard to see him getting back up to those numbers. We'll talk about that more at shortstop. Vlad hitting third. Right now, roster resource has Danny Jansen hitting fourth. <laughs> and then Kevin Biggio, Davis yeah. Snyder, who, you know, just ignore the power numbers you saw, right? Like from Davis Snyder, because they did not come back. He's a, not a good at making contact. His decision-making is not good. Um, then Dalton Varsho. And then Alejandro Kirk and Kevin Kiermaier. This lineup is not scary. In fact, mm. it might be bad. <laughs> like from top to bottom, th- this lineup might be bad. I'm shocked so, that Kevin Biggio is still on the team uh, after I mean, he's got to play third base. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Chapman's still a uh, Matt Chapman's still a free agent, right? He may lose his job to your boy uh, Isaiah Kiner Falefa. But, oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, and now, maybe maybe Odoro. Uh, maybe they could sign Runyon Odoro. Actually, I think he he's he's playing overseas this year. Yeah, he's spoken Odor. Yeah, he's spoken for. <laughs> um, but he, uh, Guerrero went in late third round in in the twelve team uh, draft champion. I'm in the middle of so. Um, all right. So we'll we'll see what happens with Guerrero. Um, next guy I, I wanted to kind of touch upon and. Uh, Next batch of first basemen that we'll talk about go between the fifth and eleventh rounds of, of typical, you know, twelve teamers. But uh, you mentioned Cody Bellinger, who's first base outf- outfield eligible, uh, and we had spoken about him on previous on a previous episode. But let's talk about Go- Paul Goldschmidt. Um, I see his ADP overall on NFBC at seventy eight, and I'm wondering if he could either be a draft day bargain, or maybe this is really who he is. I mean, uh, regressed a bit last season, still hit the ball hard based on his uh, average exit velocity and max exit velocity. A uh, little bit of a drop in his launch angle and therefore his fly ball rate, a little bit uh, over thir- 3%. Uncharacteristically uh, low batting average against right-handed pitchers last season. Uh, 259 batting average against uh, righties, uh, 283 lifetime. So, uh, pretty 
big drop off. Um, and he's over at driveline working on his bat speed. So obviously he must have seen something that uh, wasn't right and maybe felt he needed to work on it a little bit. But uh, uh, both StatCast and PitcherList expected batting average for last season. Both thought his 268 batting average was right on target. I mean, um, are you concerned enough where – uh, if you if you're looking for a first baseman in this range, are, are you going to avoid him? No. So one thing that's interesting, he actually finished ahead of uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr. last year, <laughs> um, despite you know only actually having one fewer home run. And actually, a lot of that comes from counting stats. He had 89 runs uh, and 80 RBI Goldschmidt, which is you know about the same. Like yeah, it's actually probably a close to the same total as Vlad had. Um, but having a lot more runs makes a difference. Uh, you know, I wonder if the bat speed thing comes from uh, Goldschmidt only pulling the ball 33% of the time last season. It's something that, you know, since he's been in St. Louis, it's been a lot closer to like 38%, usually pulling the ball less. That might just mean because he's not getting to it quite as quickly. That means his bat is not coming across quite as far. He's mm-hmm. catching it a little deeper in the zone. That's going to probably put it back up the middle. Uh, he, we also know that he went the opposite way 31.7% of the time. That's the highest full season rate of his career, right? So um, I, maybe that's sort of maybe why he's looking at his bat speed uh, so that he can get, you know, he can get around, he can get around that ball when he, when he swings and really send that, you know, to the pole field and get mm-hmm. it up and out of here. So mm-hmm. that could be something that really makes a difference for him. Uh, just from getting back from like 25 back up to 30, right? Uh, projections don't seem to think so. I mean, the reason they're going to do that is because we don't usually see guys who are 35 go back upwards, mm-hmm. right? Like he's going into his age 36 season. He's actually 36 years old right now. So uh, yeah, I think if you do the projection at like 27 and then maybe a bit better on the counting stats, because the Cardinals won't be a complete dumpster fire probably, uh, then you know, in a decent batting average, right? Like, I don't know that he goes back to 300, but he could, I guess. Uh, it's just, you know, it, it, a lot of it's going to matter if he can get that bat speed back up and probably hit the ball where he wants to hit it. So right, right. Uh, he is still immensely durable, not at all avoiding Paul Goldschmidt. I think the one guy I do want to talk about real quick, just because in Yahoo leagues will be eligible at first is Nolan Jones. And um, I, I would not be talking about him yet. Right. ADP says I should be talking about him now mm-hmm. uh, and, and we'll talk about him. You know, we can talk about him more, I think, in that outfield episode. But mm-hmm. Nolan Jones, um, Rockies first base outfield eligible in, you know, leagues where the, the threshold is much lower. And uh, yeah, he's he's much riskier, I think, than Paul Goldschmidt, if that says anything to you. Hmm. Okay. Good point. And uh, like you said, we'll talk about him more when we uh, do our outfield episode. Um, other first baseman in this range, uh, Christian Walker, who's been steady past couple of seasons. Um, Steamer thinks he's going to hit around 29 home runs. Uh, he hit uh, 33 last season, 36 the season before. I think we know what we're going to get from him, you know, 245, 250 batting average, probably 30 home runs. Uh, Spencer Steer is also uh, in this group, uh, but we spoke about him when we spoke about the crowded Reds infield, and he's eligible all over the place, first base, third base, outfield, probably going to be playing a lot of outfield this season. But one guy I wanted to focus on was Tristan Casas, first baseman for the Red Sox. Had a nice bounce back for 
from an abbreviated lackluster MLB debut, debut season in 2022. If you look at his StatCast page from last season, lots of red on it, and that's pretty good. Pro- projection models um, believe that he's going to have a good 2024 season. Um, for 2023, played 132 games, 24 homers, 65 RBI, 263 batting average. Uh, issue is hitting left-handers, only batted 215 versus left-handed pitching. But even uh, with that low batting average against lefties, still got on base plenty, 361 OBP against lefties, 368 against righties, so he knows how to get on base. Um, so um, had a, a shoulder injury that ended his season in mid-September. Hopefully that doesn't linger, but uh, what are your thoughts on Tristan Casas for this season? Yeah, so I actually put uh, Cassis in this. I actually have him a little bit lower than two other guys that I'm sure in the very next tier uh, ADP wise, which are Spencer Torkelson and Vinny Pascantino. Actually, Mm. look at these three guys all sort of in this same range. I think they present slightly different skill sets where Torque is like the pure power. Uh, but low batting average probably just because of his approach in the park that he plays in. Uh, Pascantino has the highest, you know, batting average upside, you know, by a considerable margin, but he, he's also not a 30 home run guy. And then Cassis is kind of in between and definitely the pick over all these guys in an OBP format uh, because he's extreme, you know, Cassis is extremely passive uh, at the plate. Our decision model uh, our decision value model likes that it likes passive hitters, but he is quite, I mean, he's pretty significantly passive. He, he lets a lot of stuff go. Uh, he really picks his spots to, to hit. And, and that's, that's good. Right. And when we look at the second half, you know, that 317 batting average, 23.7% strikeout rate, that's better than what I expect going forward. I think that's what he looks like when he's hot, right? That Cassis when he's hot can do that. But I think over a long season, I don't think he's, he's going to quite, perform at that level. I do think he's a top, you know, I think he's probably in the top 10 at first base, but a lot of it is going to depend on can, you know, you're going to hear this all over the place. Can he hit against lefties enough to not sit against them? Right. right? That's the key is can he play against lefties? Yeah. Because at this point in the rankings, 30, like a guy who could miss maybe 30 games, like that's a big deal that Mm -hmm. drops you in rankings that, you know, kills you in projections. Uh, And that, that is where, you know, to me, he has more risk. Like, cause there's just no torque and Pascantino have to be injured to sit. Like they're not sitting in any other scenario. Kansas might, right? Mm. I don't think he will, but he might. That's a real thing. So that's kind of where, you know, projections. It's really funny. If you look at, um, you know, the projections, it, projections have a hard time. I mentioned this in the podcast that I was on with, uh, with Shelly and, and Sarah projections have a hard time showing you the difference between a guy's top outcome and bottom outcome. Hmm. Right. And so projections, what, what they're going to tell you right now is, you know, what their model kind of sees is the most likely outcome. You know, it runs, it runs the future a hundred times and tells you the one that happened the most often. And Casas comes out above Torkelson and Pascantino by, you know, Torkelson by a little, Pascantino by a lot. But it, you know, it doesn't think he's going to hit for a good average. Uh, it'll be better than Torque, but I, I think that he will be a great OBP first baseman and he'll be a good uh, first baseman otherwise. But again, 
there is this real possibility he sits against lefties. Mm-hmm. Not, yeah. not out of the gate. It'll require continued struggles, which is why I'm less concerned about it because I don't think that happens right away. Right. Uh, well, the you talk about projections. I, I, maybe we'll talk about projections a little bit when we come back. But uh, they all have him hitting close to 30 home runs in the, uh, next season. Uh, that's pretty interesting as a, a left-hander um, in Fenway Park that they have him hitting uh, that many home runs. But uh, well, I guess we'll see. Um, I think we'll take our second break here. Uh, if, we want to, if you want to talk about torque, we could talk about torque. Scott, I know you want to talk about Torque. Talk about a couple other guys. Maybe uh, take a closer look at uh, Vinny Pasquatch that you talked about. Um, Reese Hoskins, Hoskins has a new home. Ryan Mountcastle could be a, a draft day bargain, in my opinion. But we'll talk about that when we come back. All right, we're back. Hacks and Jacks, a fantasy baseball podcast. Joe Galena and Scott Chu. Um, Scott, you alluded to projections. You were on the Fantasy Feud podcast. Uh, the debut episode, Sarah Sanchez and Shelly V, uh, welcome them to the uh, Pitcher List Podcast Network. Going to do great things. Looking forward to hearing more of their episodes. So you mentioned uh, projections. Like in terms of what w- your strategy, um, how do you use them? Because f- with me, uh, I always look at them, but in my mind, I kind of always have my own projection of what I think a player is going to, you know, going to do for the season and let's say if they're if i'm trying to decide between maybe two or three players you know i will look at the projections but i have i try kind of compare them to what i think they're going to do um and it's it's one of the uh things i i look at in terms of you know you look at obviously strikeout rate and obp and all this other stuff but it, it's one of the the things i do look at how do you use projections so projections, again, they're immensely valuable because what they give you is a starting point for every player. And for some, uh, you know, some players have a really tight band of expected outcomes. Like uh, it, it helps you really put a value on, you know, you can use what I use projections for really is auction, is auction calculators, mm. right? Because conceptually, right, it's not easy for the brain to say um, what what is the difference in value for fantasy between Kyle Schwarber and Matt Olson or Jordan Alvarez, right? Like conceptually, what is that? Because, you know, they're, they're similar players in that they'll have similar home run totals, run totals, RBI totals, but the batting average will be different, right? Like Jordan is going to probably hit close to 300. Matt Olson is probably going to hit like 260 ish. Right. And Mm. Schwarber is going to hit 220. So how do you put a value on, on like sort of those nuances projections actually help you do that, especially with players like a Kyle Schwarber, who we know what's going to happen. We like, we have a pretty good idea, right? Like the range of outcomes for Kyle Schwarber is not like month to month. The range of outcomes is crazy. Like the variance is wild season to season. Kyle Schwarber is Kyle Schwarber, right? He's going to hit 40 home runs. He's going to, he's going to do it. Yeah. He's going to do it with a really well batting average. That's fine. So uh, projections, like they help you with that and just sort of give you this starting point. But when you do that, like you, you can use the projections as a way to start your rankings or your, you know, or your draft board. But what you have to do after that is adjust for upside and risk because projections just have a hard time dealing with that in a real way. 
you know, cause like they have to pick a number hmm. projections. Can't pick a range. Like we can, right. They can't, they can't contemplate both things. Like they contemplate both things at the same time, but ultimately have to make a decision where you kind of don't, right? Like you can say like, I think these two players will project the same, but one has much more upside, hmm. right? One has, you know, way more upside because of what, who they are and what they are. So projections will show you like similar power and stolen base numbers for CJ Abrams and Ellie De La Cruz. And they'll probably even give you like pretty close to the same batting average, right? And close to the same counting stats with CJ Abrams and Ellie De La Cruz. So why does Ellie De La Cruz go so much earlier than CJ Abrams? Because, uh, and that's because Ellie De La Cruz could absolutely hit 25 to 30 home runs, right? We, we don't project it that way, but he could, he's got that power. He just has to get the ball off the freaking ground, hmm. right? And that projection of uh, 30, you know, ATC projection, I think for like 36 stolen bases. I think that's what I'm looking at with is ATC. Yeah. ATC has him 36 stolen bases. Like Ellie could steal 50, 60, right? He's one of the fastest players in the entire league. CJ Abrams is fast too, but like because of his, you know, he's got more limitations, right? Like that, that range of outcomes for CJ Abrams is a bit tighter. It's probably around what his projections are, but Ellie De La Cruz could on one hand be worse because he just can't get the ball off the ground mm. and he starts striking out 30, you know, something percent of the time again. And, you know, maybe doesn't get sent down, but gets moved to the bottom of the lineup and, and all these other things that could happen. Um, in that you know, crowded uh, Reds yeah. infield, he might get set down. You never know. I, yeah, I think I'm, I'm, I'm low man on him because where he's going mm -hmm. now in, in drafts, uh, Ellie De La Cruz is, is kind of crazy to me. But oh, would you but, ever rather have C.J. Abrams? <sighs> you know, you know I, when you factor in price, yes, but in the same exact pick, though, mm -hmm. those are your two options at shortstop. Yeah, right? I'll like, go for the upside. Yeah, yeah, of course you will. Mm -hmm. And but projections can't help you do that very well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like that, right. that's the thing that they're not showing you mm -hmm. uh, guys with re especially with like really wide ranges of outcomes. Those are the, and they're also almost always going to be. So if you saw a season and a guy broke out and you really buy it, right? You're like, no, this is the, this is what he is now. I really believe the second half, he made a certain change. Projections aren't going to do that as much. They're going to be much more conservative on guys who made big changes in one year. Right. Like you're basically going to be down on stolen bases for everyone that set a career high, even though it might be legit. Right. Projections are generally going to be more conservative mm -hmm. and they're probably more conservative than you on certain players. And that's what I'm doing with projections is I'm finding the players where I think projections are like being too nice or that they're not giving enough credit. Right. Like, so one of those two things is happening for a lot of players. And that's when I go in the projections, I go, okay that's that's what i'm after right like i look at the projections for jazz chisholm jr and i'm like 131 games no i i don't see it happening i think that's going to be hard for him to do so i see the projection what it looks like if he plays 131 games and then i adjust it right mm -hmm. i'm like yeah but we're gonna bring that down a bit because i don't see a path to that right so i mean really that you know when you get down to it when you're using the projections they can show you a little bit about like what the growth, you know, what growth might look like from one year to the next, but um, I'm doing it to find like, okay, so the auction calculator said this guy's worth $20. I'm actually willing to go to 30 cause I love the upside. That's mm -hmm. pretty extreme, but that's how I'm using them. Okay. All right. All right. Sounds good. Um, let's go back 
to our uh, first baseman that we're uh, taking a look at today. Um, you talked about your man Torque. Uh, if you want to talk about him some more, we can. But uh, oh, yes. uh, do you? Okay. Oh I mean, yeah. Yeah, 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 because that actually plays into what we just talked about with projections. All so right, projections go. Go will it. tell you that Cassis and Torque are similar, but Cassis probably has a better batting average, and they're both about 30 home run guys. Here's mm-hmm. the thing. I actually really believe in Spencer Torkelson's. I actually think Torkelson has closer to 40 home run power, right? I think they both definitely can do 30. Torque actually had a 41 home run pace over his final 106 games, right? 27 of his home runs come June 4th and after um, his high. He has a high fly ball rate that keeps his average down, but he keeps hitting home runs with it. We saw all, all throughout his first season. What do we see? We see the power, especially our, you know, the PLV power metric. We just see it climb up and up and up. What do we see a second year? It does it again. Right. And took like, there's a big chunk towards the end of the season where he had the most power in the league. Right. There's like a good, uh, you know, close to a hundred. Yeah. Well, not a hundred, like, 75 batted ball events and like during that stretch he's like the hardest hitting guy like he's adding the most bases uh on his batted ball events than anyone else right? he had a like, crazy 50 and a half hard hit rate last season double almost doubled his barrel rate from 22 to 23 uh t- he had an 8.4 percent barrel rate in 2022 and a 14.1 percent barrel rate in 2023 so the power is there. You don't have to convince yeah. us on that. <laughs> and I think I think it keeps going up. Like I think he can be a 35, 40 home run guy. Mm. Just as likely as like almost as likely as being 30. Imagine if he played at a different park. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I mean his power's that legit that I think he could hit 35, 40 home runs playing. Even in Detroit. State. Okay. Yeah, even in Detroit. Mm-hmm. I think that's something he can do. That's why I rank him higher. The projections won't do that. Um, and you're a homer. That's why you're ranking yeah, high. I am. Yeah. I've got bias in here, but I, at least I do have some stats to back that up. Yes. I, have, okay. I mean, what he did from June 4th on. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, you know, it wasn't. Yeah, I got to admit, you know, when I saw his end of season stats, the 31 home runs and 94 RBI, I'm like, when, how the heck did that happen? Uh, Spencer Torrelson, yeah, man. He started slow. Yeah. He, he really slow. slow. He got dropped in 12 teamers all over the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but it's real. Like, he can absolutely hit 35 to 40 home runs. I think what we saw those final 106 games, I think that's the real torque. This was one of the best college hitters that we've ever seen. Um, he, he's so like torque just really has that power. And I think he can be like a Pete Alonzo light sort of guy. Like, I don't think there's 50 home runs in there, but there is 40 and mm-hmm. the batting average won't be great, but it's there. Mm-hmm. All right. All right, I'll take your word for it. Uh, I mean, I, I love players like that. You know me, I, I love the power hitters. But um, let's take a look at a couple other uh, first basemen in this range. You have, uh, well, Torque has a, a 120 ADP in NFBC leagues, and you got Yandy Diaz as a ADP of 133, and Josh Naylor at 134. And the situation with the Guardians is kind of interesting. Josh Naylor um, had a nice season uh, last year. Um, batted 308, 17 homers, 97 RBI, and 10 stolen bases. Um, and the uh, Guardians now they traded for Kyle Manzardo, highly regarded first base prospect. Um, but uh, you know, some are wondering if Manzardo is going to be the starting first baseman uh, for the Guardians because Naylor could play the outfield, but uh, 
the Guardians also got Davison De Los Santos. They picked him up in the Rule Five uh, pick from the from the Diamondbacks. And this guy could actually smack the ball a little bit too. Uh, hit twenty home runs uh, for Double A last season. Um, and if there's one thing that the Guardians really need in their lineup is guys that could hit the home run. So uh, the thing is, uh, Manzardo has options. They could send them down to Triple A. Uh, De Los Santos as a Rule Five uh, pick. If the Guardians send them down. He goes back to the Diamondbacks, <laughs> so uh, I think there's a, a there's a possibility because a lot of people drafted Manzardo as if he's going to be the uh, Guardian starting first baseman. There's a chance that he starts the season in the minor leagues. Yeah, or on the on the big side of a platoon, mm. right? So Manzardo left-handed, I could see them protecting him a little bit against some of the tougher lefties. There's not a ton of those in the AL Central, but like Scooble, right? Like mm. that. That's a guy that I think the Guardians might try to protect him against. I I think that Naylor probably DHs or plays first base. He's just not a very good fielder. But you know that does give Manzardo a chance to to be that guy uh, at first base. I just I don't see a full everyday role for him yet. Like mm-hmm. it could happen, but I do think that Devison De Los Santos is someone that might platoon with him um, against lefties. And, you know, we might see some of these, you know, maybe like there are there'll be days when maybe they sneak in Gabriel Arias as a DH or something like that, because I think they want to finally understand what they have and what is very what is frankly a volatile player. But yeah, so Manzardo, I mean, in 12 teamers, I think you don't have to draft him. Uh, I think you can just let him be out there and figure it out. I think draft champions is the format where you're really thinking about drafting Kyle Manzardo. Mm-hmm. I think even in a regular NFBC league, I'm not sure I, I really go for it right away. And I'll wait until he has, you know, a solid job and either someone's going to pick him as like a bench bat or someone's going to grab him on the wire if he's hot to start. But I just, I don't see the urgency there. Mm-hmm. Andy Diaz is an interesting one. Um, I actually rank him in my rankings a little like right above Tristan Cassis and Spencer Torkelson, uh, mo- mostly because the floor is really high, but let's talk. Like I do want to talk about the 22 home runs because it- it's weird. Projections seem to like totally buy it, right? They're like, Oh yeah, he'll be back up there. 17, 18, 19 home runs. And it, it is really worth noting that those home runs are really f- like they're front loaded. Yes. Right. He had 12 home runs in the first two months of the season. Mm-hmm. Right. And he doesn't hit 12 more. Right. He hits 10 more over the entire rest of the season. Now, mm-hmm. the batting average stays high all the time. Batting average is good. The counting stats are going to be pretty good for a race team that just finds ways to score runs. But yeah, with Yandy Diaz, I think that 22 really is the ceiling. Uh, he just cannot consistently put the ball in the air. He, yeah. he was able to do it for a while, right? For two months, really. He he has this, you know, fly ball rate that's above 30%. His home run fly ball rate's really high. Um, but then he goes back to hitting like 60% ground balls. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I mean, that, that's just what happens. It's the type of player he is. We saw like what it looks like he puts the ball in the air, but he just didn't do it consistently again, mm-hmm. right? He had, a, he had a great run doing that for a, for a spurt. But I think that's all he can really give us, Yandy Diaz, on on fly ball rates that are even close to 40%. He's mm-hmm. just not that kind of hitter. So 
I think you got to project something like 15 to 17, but know that everything else comes with it. You get a great batting average. You get, um, you get all the counting stats, you get all these good things. So it's like not a sexy pick. Cause you're not going to see like, Oh, 40 home runs. Or I mean, you're not going to see 20 probably, but, but the rest of the counting stats are so good that it makes him a very valuable uh, player at first base. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, Let's finish off on discussion on first baseman uh, guys that you could get 14th round and deeper. Um, Alec Bohm, uh, more of a third baseman, but first base, third base eligible, uh, 161 ADP. Um, another guy, I, I kind of liken him to our conversation about Spencer Steer, where he has a semi-high floor but kind of a, a medium ceiling. I don't think he's ever going to become like a, a real bonafide power hitter. You know, I mean, uh, you know, I guess we'll see what happens with him, but he's going to hit for a, a decent average, maybe a 270-ish high teens home run kind of guy. And, and then I'd also like to talk about Vinny Pasquatch, Vinny Pasquantino, uh, you know, coming off of a, a torn labrum. So we got to watch what he's doing this spring. Um, I don't know if you would – hold off on drafting him, or if you do draft him, have a backup plan, you know, in case he needs some time to get back to full strength. But you look at what this guy had done in the past, Vinny Pasquatch, Vinny Pasquantino, 92.5% career zone contact rate. I know it's a short career, but also 84.8 overall contact rate. Never had a K rate in his professional baseball career, minor leagues and major leagues combined uh, with a strikeout rate over 16.1. So this guy uh, knows how to hit the ball. You know, there was one big red flag to me with Vinny P and I talk about it a little bit in the top 200 article I posted back in December. And it's that he was a great decision maker his first year. And in his second year, it all went away. Hmm. Okay. Uh, Vinny P was actually a 10th percentile decision maker for much of the 2023 season uh, while he was still in it. Uh, which is terrifying to me. Like, how does he go from being a top tier decision maker to a bad one so fast? Mm. Right. So, so that's the one thing I worry about. The other thing with Vinny P is, you know, 25 home runs is probably the cap it's somewhere between 20 and 25, I think for him in a full season, which is I, unbelievable I because the guy's six, four and two forty five. but I do agree with you. <laughs> it's just, it's just not it, his approach. Doesn't really tend to that. And you know, the Royals play in a tough park to hit home runs in anyway. Hmm. So, you know, I do think this is like a low twenties home run kind of guy. Uh, you know, someone who I think in 12 team leagues, I will be targeting for power, uh, who is, you know, starting to fall down more and more draft boards because his, you know, his situation's uncertain. Christian Encarnacion strand has massive power. Hmm. Right. And I think he's a guy that in a 12 teamer, I am like, I'm going to take that dice roll. Right, I'm gonna be like, hey, you know what? 14th round, he's still out there. Let let's think about it. Right, he's got 30 if home I, run power, I, yeah. Because you know, again, I think the power is so real that he can win an everyday job, and I can't necessarily see exactly how that happens right now. But like, this guy is good enough to play every single day, and he's on a team that's like not, you know, they're not playing for nothing. They they do want to win games, and I think if they see that he's their best power hitter, I think they'll put him there. Mm-hmm. Right, so. Uh, Encarnacion Strand, I think, is a very interesting name in this range. I think in terms of like a, a, a pick towards the end of a draft, uh, a guy who I think is going to slip quite far because expected, like the normal expected stats didn't love him, Isak Paredes. 
You know I love Isak Paredes. Yes. Uh, this guy, he pulls fly balls because that's his job. It's to pull fly balls. And regular. we talked about this a lot last season. Regulars, expected stats, don't um, accommodate. They just don't account for batted ball direction because it's noisy in a lot of cases. But with Isak Paredes, he's going to pull his fly balls. That's what he does. He's going to do that like half the time. He's going to pull his fly balls more often than pretty much anyone in the league. And by doing so, he gives himself a lot of extra home runs. So I do think Isak Paredes is a 30 home run guy. I think his batting average is going to be pretty decent. Yeah, the Rays do like to platoon and stuff, but they didn't really want to platoon Isak Paredes last season. Mm-hmm. And I think he might get another shot to be that. It's going to depend a little bit on like Junior Caminero coming up, maybe give you know sort of putting some pressure on him at third base and stuff like that. But uh, I think Isak Paredes, you know, he's still going to have first and third base eligibility, and I think he's going to be someone that's kind of sneaky good at the back end of a hitting lineup, mm. right? Especially when you need some infield coverage. I, I think he's someone I'm really looking at in even in 12 team leagues, mm-hmm. right? Just, you know, just sort of the back end to, to see how it goes. I'm not really going much lower than that in 12 teamers though. Um, like there not are even a, a, what about a Reese Hoskin? Uh, like Paredes in NFPC leagues. Last I looked, he had a 178 ADP Reese Hoskins just signed with the Brewers signed a two-year deal with a one-year opt-out. So if he has an awesome first year with the Brewers, he could opt out. So, you you know, you know he's going to be uh, doing his best uh, to have a great season. And ADP of 206, I know it's only 38 lifetime at-bats at Miller Park, which I think just went through a name change, but five home runs in, the, in nine games there. Um, and, you know, uh, the guy's just like pure power personified right there. And probably a 240, maybe 245 batting average. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, you know, he's one of these tight range of outcomes guys. Like as long as he's healthy, we kind of know what he's going to be. Yeah. You know, you're right. I, I think, I think that's a guy that you can sneak in, uh, at, you know, towards the end. If you're, you know, if you really need power, you can kind of sneak Riz Hoskins in there and, and see how it goes. Right. Like, again, he won't, he won't be super exciting. He's a really nice piece, especially in deeper formats, because a lot of his stats are pretty bankable, but, the Brewers lineup kind of scares me a little. Uh, it, it's not good, right? Like they got Yelich batting first. They'll have Hoskins batting fourth mm. and they've got William Contreras in there. And other than that, it's a bunch of question marks, right? Yeah. Churio's the rookie. Mm-hmm. Willie Adamas, Garrett Mitchell will probably be inconsistent. You know, Willie Adamas was really inconsistent. Jackson Chorio. We, we don't really know what we're going to get from him. He's mm-hmm. a 19 year old, almost 20 year old. That's going to be making his major league debut. Bryce Terang wasn't really all that special. Uh, you know, and Andrew Montes- uh, Monasterio is on this team because they need someone to play third base mm. and they don't have a lot of other options. Um, the bench has nothing on it, right? Like just a bunch of scraps. They got Eric Haas, uh, Jake Bowers, who you may remember. Sure. Uh, Owen Miller, who's always been on their bench and will be hot for one month of the season. And everyone will ask me about him. I'll tell them, ride it till it stops because it will. Uh, and then Joey Weimer, who had, again, has power and speed and a little bit of excitement, but he can't for a batting average. Like how many guys on this team can hit 250? Hmm. How many Brewers on the lineup, right? Like Yelich and Contreras. Mm-hmm. And like, let, I, let me put it this way. How many of them can hit 250 with 10 home runs? Yeah. Like, <clears throat> there might be like three guys. That's it. And I don't think that there's like Riz Hoskins is the only 30 home run hitter on this team. 
So like the Brewers lineup is, is kind of ugly, which means Hoskins counting stats might not impress you for a guy who's going to hit 30 home runs. Mm. But again, I think he's decent. I think he's a back end first baseman. Right. Um, you know, a guy that I looked at his ADP and I was like, this guy could be a bargain is, is Ryan Mountcastle. 236 ADP in, in NFBC leagues. Had a rough year last season, two IL stints, including one where he was dealing with vertigo. Uh, so only played 115 games, uh, hit just 18 home runs, uh, hit 22 in a full season in 2022 and 33 in 2021. Uh, obviously, there was that uh, renovation done in Camden Yards, um, making it tougher for right-handers to hit home runs. But it, oddly, uh, has hit an equal number of home runs at home and away the past two seasons. So I don't know if you could, you know, uh, use that as an excuse for him. But uh, I don't know if you think of him as a, a true slugger anymore. But a guy that could hit for a decent batting average, and probably I would think that he could approach 25 home runs. Yeah, I think 25 is about right. I think he could do that. Uh, the expected stats the last two seasons have actually been much better than the than the real ones. Mm. Um, part of that is because he hits a lot of stuff up the middle. Um, he does not pull the ball that off. Like the expected, that, that's not why the expected stats are like that. But he hits a lot of balls up the middle. The problem is that's the deepest part in every ballpark. Which means even if he's got that extra power, it's still like. If you want to hit a 380 foot out, you do it up the middle, right? It's the only way to hit a 380 foot out, right? Um, you do it right up the middle and that's kind of what he does, uh, a fair bit. So, you know, he doesn't hit the ball on the ground a lot, which is nice. Um, only like 40 ish percent, you know, career. It's like slightly under, that's a really good number. And the fly ball rates pretty good. Um, but it's hard to get too excited here. It's not clear whether he's going to be anywhere near like the heart of this lineup in Baltimore. He kind of looks like he might get shoved towards like the bottom half of it, maybe even the bottom third, which, you know, not obviously not ideal. It lowers his plate appearances, lowers his counting stats. I'm not interested in drafting him in a 12 teamer. Uh, I do think in a 15 teamer, he's probably worth like a or like a reserve spot or like a very late, you know, last, you know, one of the last people to fill in their corner infield spot. Hmm. Uh, but you do, what you do point out is like, there is some more upside than maybe a couple other guys in that range. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, I think I'd rather I, have him than Josh Bell. Right. I mean, yeah, uh, like I, I, I definitely, definitely, I, definitely I'd want him more than I'd want a Jose Abreu. <laughs> yeah. Or Anthony Rizzo or Ty France or Wilmer Florida, like any of those guys. Right. Like you're but I will say, I was going to say, and it's a Homer uh, comment from me. I, I think Anthony Rizzo could have a little bit of a bounce back. The guy was playing with uh, a concussion for like two or three months until anyone he realized. was excellent the first two months of the season he really was you know and he benefited from the uh avoidance of the extreme shifts so eh, who knows you know lefty in yankee stadium he could be another in this group you have a lot of guys that could hit you know 22 to 25 home runs and and maybe bat 240 and i think he's one of them Maybe yeah. even give you a little I mean, bit. More I think the batting average should probably be be better. A little bit better, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think you get it like two sixty. Um, I probably like him more than Andrew Vaughn. Mm. Um, even though Andrew Vaughn finished pretty, he had a pretty good finish to his season sure last year. He really yeah. did. Yeah, he, he did. I know he did. <laughs> but like, I, I am, I am tired of being disappointed by by Andrew Vaughn. <laughs> putting up very mediocre numbers and getting jerked around by the White Sox. 
Um, until they prove yeah, you talk, a- you talk about the Brewers lineup, but what about this White Sox lineup? My goodness. Oh, <laughs> like the AL Central has a lot of very barren lineups and like this, like, thank God they have, you know, Lewis Robert Jr. and Eloy Jimenez who like have some upside, but like they're, they're starting Paul DeYoung. Like somebody had to do it. Yes. And it- well, now that uh, Runyon Odor is playing overseas, you know, now somebody needs to play De- DeYoung. Yeah. Yeah. Like my, yeah, DeYoung. So <clears throat> I, I, I'm going to do some soothsaying here. How weird would it, like Paul DeYoung does this every year. He's going to have like a hot April or May or something like that. Hit a bunch of home runs. People will be like, he, he's, he could be a really good power hitting middle infield for me. And no, he can't. He can do it for a month. That's it. Then like pitchers remember like, oh yeah, I remember how to get this guy month, out. Month might even be pushing it, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this, th- that lineup I think will be a really nice streaming lineup against, because this is a really aggressive team. Mm. They swing at everything, everybody, like none of these guys walk like ever. Like, I'm not sure there will be a single player on this team who finishes with a 350 OBP. None. Like, I don't think most of them will be very close. Hmm. They, they just want to swing all the time. So, you know, make of that what you will. I think they're going to be a pretty ugly team. And it makes me really not interested in Andrew Vaughn. Like, he's he's got a floor, you know, it, it, that's decent. But, like, he still hasn't, like, 21 home runs last season is his career high. Yes. So far. And it's not like he's, he's only, you know, he's going into his age 26 season, which isn't, you know, obviously he's still young, but like we've seen 413 games of this guy and he slugs 420. He must That's have been it. on one of your fantasy teams because you, you have really, uh, I mean, he must have hurt you bad. Let's yeah. face it. <laughs> he's, he's fine, but the counting stats will stink and the power won't be there. Like what? Like, I just, I don't know if you're drafting him in a 12 teamer or something like that. Like my, my question to you is sort of like, why, right. what, why not at that point, just go for upside, right? Like where he's being drafted. Like, it just doesn't make sense to me. Like, just, just go for the upside. Have fun. It, it, have a, you know, who's fun, but uh, you know, and you talk about upside as a guy that I think we mentioned him last week or the last time we got together, Michael Bush. Sure. Like that's a last round pick. You can yeah. do that. Fine. Yeah, he, he's fun. Yeah. yeah. Like, this is really about 12 team strategy. Yeah. And like, there's just really not room on my teams for an Andrew Vaughn mm-hmm. in 12 teamers. Right. Yeah. There's room. Like there's obviously a great place for him and draft and hold and 15 team and all that stuff. But like in a 12 team league, he just, he's replacement level. Mm-hmm. Andrew Vaughn. Like I, I I'd rather shoot my shot <clears throat> with guys who like could be more than that. Which again, at that point in the draft, like there's not that many, but then just stream it, right? Like at that point, why, why draft Andrew Vaughn when you could like sort of bounce around between Ryan Mountcastle with a nice pitching week, you know, matchups for a week, and then oh look, like Luke Rayleigh in Seattle, but they're facing a bunch of weak right-handed guys, and Luke Rayleigh's a lefty who can hit, you know, hit home runs off them. Oh look, Ty France who spent some time with Driveline, maybe he gets hot. And you could stream him for a couple of weeks. Yeah, he's not going to hurt you with he's not going to hurt you with batting average. And who knows down, if you really think about it? How different are are those two guys, Ty France and Andrew Vaughn? 
Like statistically speaking. Yeah. Well, France would give you the betting batting average. Yeah. Uh, Vaughn might have a little bit more power, maybe. Um, but we'll see what the uh, driveline does with France. Yeah. Like, I, I think, I, I mean, they're, they are very similar. I, yeah. Ty France only hit 12 home runs last year, but I think he's going to project to something closer to like the 20 in 2022. Yeah. 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 Like, yeah. So I, I, this is such a negative way to end, but like in 12 teamers, please ignore some of the, ignore these guys. You don't need to draft them because you will stream them. Agreed. 12, right? 12 teamers. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. You, you just don't care. Like if you didn't get the upside, they're like, just wait then. Like pick a guy who's kind of exciting to you, who maybe slipped a little, and then just be ready to stream. You can stream first base at that point, right? That's why I want to get one that's early. That's why we started the show with that. But if you do wait too long and you're stuck in this sort of range of, you know, you kind of get below maybe like, uh, you know, Tor- you know, Torkelson, Naylor, Diaz, that's good. Encarnacion, Strand, yeah. You know, then you're looking at like Bohm, Pasquantino, Paredes. Uh, okay. You know, after Reese Hoskins, I'm probably just like, ah, screw it then. I don't need one. Like mm. if, especially even if I'm, you know, if I'm in a 12 teamer that needs like a corner infield or something like that, like at that point, I'm like, all right, I'm going for upside now. I'll just keep waiting. Mm. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. All right. So I, I think that uh, slams the lid on things for this episode and, and first base for now. Um, you could follow my buddy, Scott Chu. At if the chew fits, follow me at Joe Galena, and uh, hey, uh, check out the content uh, for PitchCon. Uh, it's going to be up on uh, YouTube and uh, make a contribution uh, to uh, ALS. The whole idea of, of PitchCon uh, was to uh, raise money to fight ALS, and like I said, uh, um, it's, it's Friday evening, and there's two more days of. You know, we're recording this on Friday evening. They've got two more days of, of uh, programming left, and they've just blown past their initial target of, of, of 10,000. But uh, great stuff. And uh, you can watch all this stuff um, after the fact. Like I said, on, on YouTube, you can check out uh, Scott Chu. He's on three three panels, and, um, and that's just about it. So uh, good stuff. And like we always like to say, hoping uh, that all of your fantasies become realities. And we'll see you next time.